This is the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of agribusiness. If you're curious about innovations in ag tech, rural entrepreneurship, ag sustainability, or food security, this is the show for you. Let's get started. Hey there, thanks so much for downloading this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich. I am an agricultural recruiter, and it's my pleasure to bring you these stories every week of the founders, the farmers, the innovators, the investors, the people shaping the future of the agriculture industry. I don't know if, I don't know if I've ever sort of come out and explicitly said this, but I hope it shines through in the episodes themselves. I become such a fan of every person who who is on this show. I, I just something in in the research, getting ready for the interview, the interview itself, the follow up. I just become personally invested in the future success of the guests of this show. And uh, that's one of the things I love about doing it. And it certainly is true uh, for our guest here today. We are strategically placing this episode to publish on May 26 second 2019 because this week so two days ago on may 20th was world b day i bet you didn't know this but world b day was created on the birthday of anton jansa who's considered the pioneer of beekeeping he was born on may 20th 1734 fun fact Uh, the purpose of world b day is to acknowledge the role of bees and other pollinators in our ecosystem i'm sure you have heard um, about the problem uh, with bees First of all, the importance of the role they play in pollinating so much of our food, but the problem with colony loss and the mystery surrounding why are all of these bees dying? I'm sure you've seen headlines of people claiming that they know. And what you're going to hear today is that it actually seems to be happening for a variety of reasons. Um, And today's example is how ag technology can solve an important problem like this. We have on the show Dr. Fiona Edwards-Murphy. She is the CEO and co-founder of Apis Protect. This is an Internet of Things startup um, that basically tells us more about what's happening in a beehive than we've ever had access to in the past. Uh, It allows beekeepers to reduce uh, losses and also increase their productivity when keeping bees. Fascinating stuff. Um, I left this interview energized about the future of this company. I think you will, too. And it just uh, gets me excited that um, we can solve problems like this through technology. Pretty cool stuff. So anyway, here is my interview uh, with Dr. Fiona Edwards Murphy. She's going to start off by answering the big question here, which is what's happening with the bees? Yeah, um, so I get asked that question a lot and um, uh, people are always looking for, oh, what's the, you know, the problem with honeybees? And the problem is that there are so many problems. Mm-hmm. So there's this whole variety of, you know, diseases, pests, hive problems, you know, things like um, uh, climate change and even, you know, the intensive agriculture that we're engaging in now um, to be able to feed the number of people that we have. And all of those factors are feeding in to, to cause losses for beekeepers. And the, the, the reason why things have really gotten over, out of control in the last, like, you know, 20, 30 years is just that all of those problems now are happening at the same time and they're happening you know, they're, they're getting worse and worse and beekeepers are now trying to juggle, you know, so many different problems. So if a beekeeper gets an infestation of a particular kind of pest and they spend all of their time then focusing on eliminating that pest, they might eliminate that pest, but then they'll, you know, lose a pile of hives to starvation. So it's kind of, it feels to them like, like juggling basically. 
Um, and that that's really the huge problem that beekeepers are facing today and that honeybees are facing today. And it, it, it would, it seems to me, you know, I, I guess um, I didn't realize until diving into this a little bit more, just kind of how, um, would you say that bees are just really, really sensitive to biological changes and then the biological changes have been accelerated due to climate change and intensive agriculture? Is that, I mean, does that sum it up kind of? Um, it, it kind of does, but there are, there are more factors. I mean, like it's not just climate change and intensive agriculture. I mean, we've, we've also got issues around the fact that we've, we move bees all over the world now, or we, we have spent the last couple of hundred years moving bees all over the world. Like for example, honeybees aren't native to North America or they're not native to the United States. Um, Europeans brought over honeybees with them um, in order to like pollinate the crops that they wanted to grow. And, uh, you know, because of that, and that continued, you know, moving bees all over the world. And uh, we brought diseases from all over the world with all the bees. So now we've got, you know, pests from Asian honeybees that live on European honeybees and cause much bigger problems for European honeybees than they do on the bee that they evolved with and vice versa. So now you've got like basically all the diseases, all the pests from everywhere in the world on almost every bee all over the world, you know, and that's, that's kind of, that's amplified the problem so much more, you know? Right. Yeah. 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 I, 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 I've met a lot of people in agriculture, but I don't know that I've ever met a commercial beekeeper. What's what, what's your what's your average commercial beekeeper like in terms of their operation and um, you know how how their business sort of works? Yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a very um, it's a very unusual business, and I think it's you know really large scale commercial beekeeping is a, is a very recent thing. You know, the last kind of you know ten years, like not even ten years, is when that industry has really started to emerge and. Uh, um, it really started in California around, you know, the almond industry because almonds are completely dependent on specifically honeybee pollination. And the kind of beekeepers now who are really engaged in, in, in pollination, you know, they could have you know, thousands and thousands of beehives and beekeeping isn't something that scales up very well at all. So you've got different approaches by different beekeepers on how they manage that. So you've got um, people trying to hire as many, you know, as many beekeepers and as many laborers as they can in order to just uh, inspect all of those beehives. So, you know, uh, until we came along with our technology, there really was no way to scale up beekeeping, you know, because every single time you want to know what's going on inside the beehive, you have to walk up to the beehive, put on your bee suit, uh, open up the beehive and literally pull out the frames of bees and inspect, you know, check, is there a queen? Do those bees look healthy? Do they have enough stores? Do I need to feed them? Do I need to treat them? And, you know, you can't scale that up at all. That, you know, that takes a certain amount of time and it takes a person doing it. Um, so that's really what's been holding back the pollination industry, turning into something, you know, really, really sustainable and really, really like economically viable. So, well, um, sorry, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. Were you going to say something else? Oh yeah. Just, I was saying, so that's why I think really technology needs to, needs to come into more into the beekeeping world, just to be able to manage that, that scaling up more successfully. Great. And I, I want to get into that technology before we do. So your, your PhD, was it on, uh, you know, was it related to this? Yeah, yeah, it was. So um, my background is actually engineering. So um, even though I come from uh, a rural part of Ireland um, and I spent a lot of my time or, or a lot of my life around, around farms and nearby farms and looking at farms and a lot of my friends were farmers, I'm actually, I'm not a farmer. I knew nothing about beekeeping uh, until kind of 2013. Uh, I was an engineer. I was uh, studying electronic engineering in college and I got really involved there with the um, embedded systems group. So that's the, the research group in the college that works on um, 
the technology that back then was called wireless sensor networks and it went through about six different name changes while I was working on it and uh, eventually everybody kind of settled on Internet of Things technology. Um, so I really, really like this technology. I loved how, you know, you can apply it in the real world and do things to actually, you know, provide information about the real world and make an impact on industries. And I, so I fell in love with that technology and I was looking for a really, really interesting project to do a PhD on. And luckily the, the guy who I wanted to be my supervisor uh, in engineering, his dad was a beekeeper. So he kind of mentioned to me one day, he was like, oh, I've always wondered what it would be like to, you know, put some sensors in beehives. And I was like, that sounds amazing. Even though I knew nothing about bees, I was just like, that, that's such a great place to try and put sensors. Uh, and then I started to, you know, learn about, you know, the beekeeping industry and beekeeping biology and just about bees themselves. And I just became like obsessed with them. So I spent four years working on my PhD. Uh, the title was Wireless Sensor Networks uh, Applications for Honeybee Health. So uh, I worked with a whole variety of different sensors, um, you know, cameras, weight scales, temperature, humidity sensors inside in beehives. And that's really where, where the idea from Apis Protect, for Apis Protect came from. Um, it was around my experience there, seeing just how much sensors can impact the output of a beehive. And what type of sensor did you settle on that you decided was most useful for a beekeeper? So um, at Apis Protect, we have a combination of five different sensors. Uh, so we use temperature, humidity, carbon dioxide, uh, sound, and movement. So an accelerometer is that last one. And um, we pick those because really that the fusion of those five data sets really tells you an awful lot about what's going on inside in the beehive. What are the conditions like? What's the size of the colony? Are they healthy or unhealthy? And are they making the sounds associated with a healthy beehive? Um, and that's really, we, th we think that's a really comprehensive overview of what's going on inside the colony. And I, I could totally see how just, just from a convenience factor in mm -hmm. beekeeping, um, you know, having a question and being able to get it answered on your, you know, phone or tablet, uh, rather than having to, to suit up and go out there to wherever the bees are and, and look. Um, so tell, tell us about kind of what, what's one example of a problem that can be detected uh, using this technology and, and what can a beekeeper do about it? Yeah, so uh, a really straightforward thing that we can detect, um, I mean, uh, would be overheating in the colony. So um, a lot of colonies are lost, especially, you know, in warmer climates. So if you've got, if you've got hives in Florida, if you've got hives in California, they can overheat um, just literally from the sun shining on them for too many, for too long. And uh, we detect that the, the heat of the or the temperature of the colony has gotten too high and that can actually cause a whole big list of problems. So you've got things like uh, the brood. So the young bees can actually be deformed if they're more than one and a half degrees uh, Celsius away from their ideal temperature, hmm. uh, which is 34 and a half degrees Celsius. I have no idea what that is in Fahrenheit, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, I don't either. So we'll go with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's quite, it's warm. <laughs> and um, uh, essentially, if, if you start to deviate from that ideal temperature, then you can you can get a whole pile of issues. And also you can eventually lose like structural integrity. You know, a lot of the beehive is wax and wax obviously melts at a certain temperature. Um, so that's a really straightforward thing for us to detect with just one of our sensors. And being able to tell the beekeeper that, um, it's very, very simple then for the beekeeper to move. You know, all you have to do is push, push that hive underneath, you know, maybe underneath a tree or, you know, open some sections of the beehive to allow more ventilation, to allow more airflow into the beehive. And that's, that's a really good example of something that's really, really simple. But the only way that a beekeeper can know that is to know the temperature of their beehive all the time. Right. And that's exactly what we provide to them. 
Hmm. Do you, do you foresee beekeepers further uh, automating their process as a result of getting this information? Like maybe, you know, maybe the, the, the hives can be moved uh, robotically or something like that. Is it, do you think that's where the industry is going? Um, I, I guess eventually, I mean, like, you know, we all think of like, you know, sci-fi things like, you know, drones doing pollination and stuff like that. But I think that maybe uh, there are definitely some, some areas where automation could, could improve. I mean, like something like automated opening and closing of ventilation in the hive could keep the, the temperature more ideal or um, even working out how to statistically place the, the beehives in the, in the right location in the field. You know, if you've got an almond orchard, you, you can calculate where, where do I really need some more colonies. Mm-hmm. And, and the commercial beekeepers, how many colonies, you know, are, are they typically uh, operating? Oh, I don't think there's any, there's no typical number. So we've seen, we've seen beekeepers from, you know, uh, one or two beehives, you know, obviously they're not commercial operations. You've got commercial operations with a couple of hundred colonies. And then we've seen all the way up to, to tens of thousands of hives in a single operation, oh, wow. obviously spread over, you know, almost all over the U.S. Hmm. And in, in, on those commercial beekeepers, um, mm-hmm. is there a business model? Do they make most of their money from pollination? Because I know they, they move these hives around to pollinate, like you said, almond trees, et cetera. Uh, is the business model, you know, primary revenue, pollination, secondary revenue, honey, or does that, does that kind of vary with, with the operation? Um, yeah, I think at the, at the higher end of the scale, it's primarily pollination. So looking for pollinating, pollinating almonds, pollinating blueberries, apples, there, there are so many crops that are so dependent on, on bee pollination that that's a huge source of revenue and a huge, you know, straightforward, you know exactly what you're going to get out of the, the contract before you go into it. Uh, and then honey is almost treated as kind of like almost a byproduct um, and not really sold in those, those operations generally. Okay. And, and what stage is Apis protecting? Are you all commercially, you know, out there s- selling directly to customers or uh, what stage uh, of the business process are you in? Okay. Um, so we're, we're at, um, we're calling it phase two of, of the business. So we had, we developed our original prototype of our units and got a lot of information out of that and learned a lot about building it. And now we have 200 units rolled out. Um, so about 160 of them are in the United States. And then the remainder of them are spread between Ireland, the UK, and South Africa. And uh, the purpose of that, that rollout, so we rolled those guys out last October. And the purpose of that is to collect a, a big database. So essentially what we use is machine learning. So we collect the sensor data, and then we use machine learning to convert the raw data into useful information for the beekeeper. So obviously we don't want to be telling the beekeeper, you know, your hive has 60% humidity. They don't care about that. They care about, you know, is it healthy? Is it not healthy? Do I need to mm. do it? Um, so uh, to build up that machine learning ability, you need a large database of information. So those 200 units are out there in the field right now, giving us back that information, you know, with some carefully selected beekeeping hosts that are they're giving us back some extra information as well to make sure that that's all validated. And our objective now is to um, use that information to build up our database, have it all ready to go for a product launch at the end of 2019. Okay. And, and so, uh, generally speaking, or I, I guess at least with, with this stage of the business, um, the beekeepers are, are okay with you sort of aggregating this data for, for insights for everybody. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, so our, our whole goal is that um, we can use by having, 
having access obviously to um, lots of different beekeepers data. So we're working with you know, master beekeepers, research organizations, commercial pollinators and growers. And we're getting data about all these different beekeeping styles and all of these different, you know, even bee subspecies, forage areas. And by having that high level, such a high level of data that I don't think anybody out there is actually collecting at the moment besides us, um, we're able to get insights and understand bees on a level that, that, that people haven't been able to before. And I think everybody, all the beekeepers that were involved with definitely appreciate, you know, what the potential that we have here to understand beehive health at a, at a new level. Why is it, why do you think that this hasn't been uh, done before? Obviously, the, you know, the Internet of Things and, and you were, you know, on the forefront of it when you're getting your PhD. Um, but, you know, uh, it, it seems to me like in a very short period of time, you're going to have more data on bees than than anyone in the in the world. And and that's, uh, considering we've been talking about this problem for so long, it's kind of amazing to me. Why do you think uh, it hasn't been been done elsewhere? Yeah, I think um, there's kind of a combination of things. I, I think the, the first thing that you really need to be able to succeed in this space is you need a lot of knowledge from so many different fields. So you need to understand beekeeping, understand the beekeeping industry um, in order to design something that will work in the real world uh, for a beekeeper. Then you need a lot of engineering experience. So, uh, so you need to understand IoT and exactly where where the limits of IoT are right now and what technologies you can use and what technologies are you know, cool, but realistically, it's not going to work for another couple of years. And then you also need a, a business, business knowledge. So understand how to make it economically viable for the beekeepers, economically viable for us. So um, at Apis Protect, we've got all of those core skills on our, or all of those skills on our core team. Um, so that's really given us a, a really key advantage. And then the, the other thing that I think you need, um, or the other thing that I think has prevented this kind of technology existing until recently is literally IoT is really only getting there right now. Um, so um, beehives are in extremely rural locations. You know, you're talking about out in the middle of nowhere with the almond orchards up mountains. Um, we've got some in the middle of like a game reserves and stuff like that. And uh, you're, if you're trying to extract sensor data from those locations, that's an incredibly difficult thing to do. And these new technologies, things like narrowband IoT, um, LoRa, the kind of technologies that we're using have only gotten to the point where they're, you know, sufficiently developed to actually work at all uh, in the last, you know, couple of months even, you know, for some of these technologies. And also getting the sensors and the hardware small enough, cheap enough, robust enough to go into a beehive. That, that's been really, that's only been coming, up, coming across to us in the last couple of, couple of years. Well, you just answered my my next question, which is going to be <clears throat> how do internet connected devices work when you have no internet? Uh, but it, but it sounds like there's <laughs> been some really modern technology that's helped you with that. Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the the key things that's really helped Apis Protect get um, get to where we are right now is our um, our collaboration with um, Inmarsat, who are a, a mobile satellite communications company. So what they've provided us with is. Um, essentially a box, a base station that we can drop down anywhere on earth and it will provide an internet connection via satellite. And uh, that allows us to connect our LoRa devices into that and provide that data straight from the Beehive back to us in our office in Cork in Ireland, regardless of where those boxes go down anywhere on earth, which has been fantastic. Wow. Yeah. When you all start rolling this out to, to more customers, I know you've got the first 200 now, uh, when you, when you start rolling out to more, um, it, 
Is the sales pitch convenience? Hey, you don't have to go check your hive. It would seem to me that maybe even more so, uh, they're going to be learning things about their hives and bees in general that they never knew before. Is that more the sales pitch or is it kind of the convenience? Yeah, I think um, what our our main main sales pitch um, right now would be um, the convenience, like you said. So it would be more around, you know, just being able to understand as a beekeeper, if you've got two yards and they're 20 miles away from each other and your office is halfway in between, being able to decide in the morning whether you need, will it be more beneficial for you to turn left and go 10 miles that way or right and go 10 miles that way with your kit in the back of the truck. And like that by itself is, is such a game changer in beekeeping, you know, because right now there's a huge amount of resources, labor, fuel, um, time and effort just wasted on inspecting when you have no idea where you need to inspect. So if you're inspecting 100% of your hives because you have no idea which, of, which is the one hive that I need to inspect today, that's exactly what's happening right now. And we're able to say, you know, here's, here's the five hives that you need to care about today and forget about the rest of them. Yeah. I, I mean, I would think that would be just tremendously valuable. I mean, this is such, this is why I love having the show because it's such a cool time to be in this industry. And things are happening that, um, you know, solving problems that we've been talking about for decades. Well, the average beekeeper, are they just used to having a certain percentage of loss every year? Or can you help us kind of frame up the problem in, in that way, you know, about colony loss, about how, you know, beekeepers are just uh, used to losing bees if, is my understanding. Yeah, so beekeepers, and especially in recent years, uh, losses have gotten to, to a really, really high level. I mean, like I think, uh, I think it was 2015, 2016 um, was the year that um, recently that 38% of all the colonies in the United States died. So you can imagine like you're going between 30, 40, and like even some years as much as half of colonies are dying. And that's just, you know, that's a huge loss for beekeepers. But the only thing that they've been able to do is, you know, just just keep keep plugging away, keep splitting hives, keep trying to grow them up to recover from the losses of the year before. And it's just become, you know, there's, there's, they're just constantly chasing the number that they need to have to provide for pollination and things like that. Uh, hmm. Sorry. No, I sorry. think I might've, I might, I might've not phrased that in the best way possible. No, you, yeah. I mean, if you want to start that one over, it's fine. Hmm. Sure. Let me just kind of think it through a little bit more. Sorry. I just wanted to double check that it was 2015, 2016. Could you ask the question again? Uh, yeah, no problem. I'll probably word it totally yeah. differently because I just kind of go sure, off the cuff. That's no problem. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, <clears throat> so for, from what I've read with colony loss, it, it seemed to me that, that beekeepers are just kind of used to, to losing bees every year. Is, is that the case? And is it pretty widespread? Yeah, it's absolutely completely widespread. And um, beekeepers are losing so many of their colonies every single year. So. I mean, we've had as much as 50% losses in recent years, but um, like for example, in 2015, 2016, 38% of all the colonies in the United States actually died. Um, so that's, those masses are, or losses are obviously massive for beekeepers and um, they have no option but to, to keep working away and keep trying to split their hives and, and grow the size of their apiaries back up in order to continue, you know, continue pollination, continue producing honey. Uh, but those losses are, they're just massive compared to what, um, what should be the case if beekeepers had the information that they need to have access to. And, and do you know, what does it take to kind of restart a colony? So you, you completely lose a colony, you know, what mm -hmm. do you do? What do you do? 
Uh, yeah, that's it. It's, there are a variety of different things that beekeepers can do to, to replace their colony. So they can either go out there and buy a colony. So buy a colony from somebody else. Um, if there is someone else willing to sell a colony, which if you've had a lot of losses, it's probably how everybody's had a lot of losses and you're not going to be able to do that. But, you know, that could be two, three, four hundred dollars, um, depending on where you are and what, what exactly you're trying to do. Or you can take one of your existing hives, try and find a particularly healthy hive that you have already and split that. So what you actually do is you, you take it and you break the colony in half, essentially put half of it into another hive, put a new queen in there with them and grow the colonies back up. But obviously the disadvantage of that is that you then have two small colonies, not two healthy colonies, which is what you had before you lost your initial colony. And, and do bees overwinter? Do they just sit in the colony all winter and, and know when it's time to come out? Yeah, yeah, they do. So uh, once the temperature outside goes down um, to kind of uh, cold levels, um, again, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm lost with the Celsius and Fahrenheit. But Don't worry uh, about it. It's nope. about seven degrees. Our so listeners are, are way more are way smarter than me, so they, they'll do the conversion in their head. <laughs> Perfect. So about seven degrees Celsius, um, the colony will cluster into a ball. So the, the, the bees actually go together into a ball with the queen in the very middle. And what they can do then is they, they kind of slow down. It's not quite hibernating, but it's similar. They, they'll slow down. They don't need to eat as much and they'll stay quite warm. And then as the winter goes on, you know, it can stay cold for quite a while. The bees on the outside will start to die, but the core temperature will stay the same. And then as long as you've got a handful of bees and the queen essentially in the middle alive, then the colony in the spring can start to build back up. She can start laying eggs and they'll start reproducing and, you know, the colony will recover. I find this so fascinating. I, I love, yeah. I just love the bee stuff. I, I, I really do. Um, and I, obviously I know, uh, a lot of the listeners are, are going to be really interested in on the, on the business side as well. So I will, <laughs> I will stop nerding out on the bees for here just a minute. And I want, I want to hear more about, about the business. Um, obviously the, the economic impact of beekeeping is, is enormous. Um, not just in the amount of honey that's sold or the amount of pollination services that's sold, but the impact, uh, pollinators can have on, on production of all of our food. So I guess you could, you could come up with some really, really big numbers when it comes to economic impact of bees. But as you looked yeah. at this market and uh, the, the amount of customers that were going to be of the, taking this seriously enough to, to pay for a technology like this, um, you know, how'd you come up with sort of a, an addressable market there? Yeah. So I think for us, the, the, the market that we saw that really kind of um, made this a viable business is it's the pollination industry. And it's specifically the pollination industry around those crops, those highly bee dependent crops. So things like almonds, blueberries, avocados, um, basically all kinds of berries and nuts, soft fruits. Um, and the, the, just looking at how that market is growing, I mean, like the, the USA is the, the original and the biggest pollination industry. And then you've got a, a really strongly emerging pollination industry in countries like um, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and to a certain extent here in Europe as well. Um, and there, that, po that pollination market where the, the value of that about globally is about a billion dollars. And that's growing massively every year. I mean, like some years it's grown by as much as 20% in a single year. So um, it, it's just really, really rapidly growing and really interesting. And I think every beekeeper in that space is, is really aware of the, the problems that they're facing trying to scale up beekeeping. And they're very aware that they need to use technology and that the technologies that they need aren't really out there yet. And I know you said you're in phase two right now. What's, mm -hmm. what's the biggest challenge uh, for you in, in your business right now? 
Um, I think the biggest challenge for us right now, uh, what we're working on now is based on the, the rollout that we have with the 200 beehives out there. Uh, we've learned an awful lot about the technology, about where we need to get the technology to for the, for the commercially scalable version of the technology. And uh, so we're working hard at the moment on revising that hardware, getting it small enough to fit into a pollination beekeeper's beehive because uh, someone who's working really hard on pollination, their hives are so small, there is no space whatsoever. There isn't an inch inside in that box that isn't used for bees. Mm. So trying to get our technology small enough and discreet enough to fit into that box. So that's been a big challenge. It's been really interesting as well, getting in there with um, bees because bees are warm, they're damp, they like filling every available space with wax and propolis and all different kinds of things. So it's not a fun place to put sensors, but it's a really interesting challenge from an imager point of view. Yeah, warm and sticky. I mean, do, do, yeah. <laughs> have you noticed, uh, I, this may be a stupid question, but I ask at least one stupid question every interview. It, have you noticed any behavior change as a result of putting the sensor in a hive? Yeah, no, that's definitely not definitely not a stupid question at all because it's a very important thing for us to understand. Um, what we do is we've kept um, in the past, in past while we were evaluating the hardware initially, um, we kept control colonies with no sensors inside them just to be sure because a lot of people do ask about, you know, okay, this is mobile phone technology and lots of people have heard all these rumors about mobile phones killing the bees uh, and we have observed no differences between our instrumented colonies and our non-instrumented colonies. So we're, we're confident that our technology is not upsetting the bees in any way. Okay. And as far as the business model itself, I assume there's got to be some upfront costs to install the sensors. Uh, and then is it from there kind of a software as a service type model? Yeah. Yeah. So um, one thing that we're working very hard on is actually driving down the cost of our hardware because we, one of the things we realized to, to make a, a successful business model out of this, um, you need to be able to drive down that initial CapEx because an individual beehive isn't worth an awful lot of money at, at any given time. So you need to get the cost of that hardware down down quite low for, for a brand new IoT device uh, before it will become viable. So uh, what we're looking at is just a, a flat annual subscription with a very small increased first year right now. Um, so it's primarily a subscription model. So we're calling it platform as a service rather than software as a service because there is hardware in it. Um, so it's just kind of an annual subscription for the data, which is the valuable part of the product that we're providing. Like the beekeepers don't care about the hardware. And have you had any pushback on the data saying, well, you know, I, I know in, in row crop farming, sometimes you definitely get this response of it's my data. I don't want anybody mm -hmm. else, you know, I don't want anyone else benefiting from my data, which I don't always understand. But anyway, what, what, uh, um, have you had any pushback on the data aspect of it needing to sort of share that? Yeah, uh, well, absolutely. I mean, like it's, it's, it's a valid concern, data ownership. And, uh, one thing that maybe is a benefit for us uh, being a European company where we're, uh, we operate under uh, GDPR, which is mm. uh, a massive, the massive European law on data and all of the, the data generated in the beehive. So the sensor data that belongs to the beekeepers and our approaches belongs to the beekeepers or remains their property. And uh, we, you know, so we kind of are by default, by law um, in the, on the side of the beekeepers from that point of view. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And what about if um, if a sensor needs to be repaired? Uh, mm -hmm. the, the challenge it would seem to me on it, such a distributed sort of 
model um, is that if if a sensor needs to be repaired, I mean, is it is it kind of cheaper just to kind of send a new one, or do you have any sort of infrastructure in place to sort of troubleshoot the tech? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is um, one thing that I get very passionate about, actually, uh, from a, for, as an engineer. Um, for Internet of Things or any kind of technology like Internet of Things to be able to succeed in agriculture, it essentially needs to be disposable. So the sensors need to be, you know, they need to be cheap enough that it can be driven over. It, well, it either needs to be rugged enough that you can drive a tractor over it and it's drive, or it needs to be cheap enough that you drive a tractor over it and you can replace it without thinking about it. I, I don't think that there's any feasible way to do ag tech other than taking that approach. So that, that's our objective is, you know, individual sensors, we don't care about replacing, no, uh, we don't care about repairing them, it's just replace them. One thing that I, I always have so much respect for entrepreneurs like yourself, because so, so first of all, you had to learn this highly technical information on the engineering side, and then you had to learn this really complicated situation when it comes to beekeeping and, and uh, colony loss, et cetera. And then you probably had to go out and like raise money and build a team. And I mean, all these skills just, ha you know, seemingly have very little to do with each other. Um, which aspect of all of that has been most challenging for you as an entrepreneur? Um, I think definitely all of the all of the information that you need to know around business. So, you know, all these things that you're kind of aware of in life, but, um, you know, you don't really know about them. Well, definitely, I didn't know about them as, you know, an engineer. And then I went into, you know, my PhD, so I went into act academia slash engineering. And then suddenly, I all of a sudden needed to know about accounting and marketing and sales and all these things that I was aware of and just never wanted to even think about or look at. And then then I, I was kind of like, well, no, you have, you have to do all of this. So uh, that was definitely, I, I learned more in the first six months of APIS Protect than I did in the entire eight years I spent at university, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> uh, so that was tough, but I, I really enjoyed it and I learned so much. <laughs> Good deal. Well, we are we are timing this interview or the release of this interview right around uh, an important day, which, which is May twentieth. Can you tell us about that day and what you've got going on as a result of uh, of May twentieth? Yeah. So uh, World Bee Day is um, the global day celebrating uh, all kinds of bees, as far as as far as I'm aware, not just honeybees. Uh, and we're also announcing our partnership with Inmarsat, which has been really really exciting. The opportunity to use satellite communications to connect bee beekeepers and beehives all over the globe into our into our network. Uh, that's been brilliant. We've got beehives in the middle of nowhere in South Africa, uh, beehives in the UK in the top of the, the mountains in the Peak District, and we've got beehives all over the United States as well, all connected in through their satellite system, which has been fantastic. And as well as that, I'm actually also going to be in Chicago on the 22nd of May uh, after our Inmarsat announcement as well uh, as part of a Digital Irish event. So if anyone's in Chicago and wants to get onto me and that would be great. Very cool. And, and um, I, you all, you've, you've raised some, some uh, seed money or what stage of, of the investment process are you in now? Uh, yeah, so uh, last year, last, um, last September, we raised our Series A funding, which was fantastic. That was uh, $1.8 million. And we were really happy with the, the kind of world-class investors that we got on board there. So it was co-led by Finisterre and Atlantic Bridge, who are an Irish-based um, VC. And we also had Radical Growth, the Yield Lab, and Enterprise Ireland on board as well, which was fantastic. So we've got a great network now of both in both technology, ag tech, and wider agricultural space. Uh, and uh, the, some of the connections that they made for us, uh, that investment allowed us to grow our team of 10 people in Cork in Ireland. Uh, it allowed us to roll out those 200 units all over the world. 
And as well as that, it allowed us to open our first US office in Salinas, California. Uh, so really in the heart of the pollination industry right there. And we'll be taking part in the Forbes Ag Tech Summit there on the 26th and 27th of June, which is going to be really exciting as well. Fantastic. Yeah, it's kind of a who's who of, of ag tech investors uh, there on the cap table. So that's fantastic. And uh, you'll be in the U.S. at least twice in the coming months. So the day this comes out, May 22nd in Chicago, and then uh, in June for the Forbes Ag Tech uh, Summit in Salinas. So this has been really fascinating, Fiona. I, I love the bee stuff, as I said. Uh, obviously, you're, you're at an exciting and pivotal time in your company, addressing a serious problem with uh, with a really interesting solution. So I really appreciate you being on the show. If anybody's listening and wants to follow up uh, with the work you're doing at Apis Protect, what's the best place uh, we should send them? Sure. Um, so we're on all forms of social media. We're on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, if you want to follow us, see what we're up to. And as well as that, we actually have a newsletter on our website, uh, apisprotect.com, uh, if you want to sign up to, to get more information uh, in the future. Great. I'm, I'm signing up for the newsletter. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Great. Thanks so much. It was great to be on. Thank you again to Dr. Fiona Edwards-Murphy for being on the show and I wish Apis Protect and their team uh, the very best as they move forward and solve these important problems. It's just pretty cool to to get that story. I, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And I, I seriously got super interested in just beekeeping in general. I've never had uh, an interest. I, I have had an interest in, in entomology in general. So, you know, insects uh, in the past, but never specifically in beekeeping. But listening to her talk about it just sounds so fascinating. So, uh, anyway, I don't know that, that beehives are going to be allowed in my backyard, but maybe some beekeeping will be in my future. Who knows? Uh, with Apis Protect, it sounds like it's getting a lot easier. So maybe I, maybe I ought to wait until I can get some IoT devices in my future beehives. So anyway, thank you again to Dr. Fiona for being on the show. Um, and thank you for, for listening. Thank you for your time, your attention, your curiosity, and your entrepreneurialism in wanting to solve the most important problems to improve our food system. We will be back next week. I can't wait to share the guest that's coming at you next week. Have a good week. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast. If you like what you heard here today, I'd love to connect with you further. Go over to futureofag.com. That's futureofag.com. And let me know a good email address for you so we can keep in touch. Also, you'll be able to check out a ton of bonus content on the blog while you're there. Otherwise, make sure you're subscribed to the show so you can catch another fascinating ag innovator here next week. Hey,